Well, good morning again, everybody. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to find them and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. If you are new here this morning, you're here for the very first time, you came at a fantastic time because we're beginning something brand new in the life of the church. And we're about to dive into a nine-month study on this little thing called the Sermon on the Mount. I don't mind telling you this is something I've been wanting to do uh, for close to 10 years. But as I look for the cycle of the church, I never found the time where we could really just spend nine months just in one big chunk of of Scripture. But last year after Easter, as we kind of moved toward the summer, I became convicted. There's never going to be a perfect time, and this just seems like the right time. So that's what we are about to do. And before we do that, I just think it's, it's such a big journey that we pause and we begin in prayer. God, we ask right now that you would make your presence known. We know there's power in your presence. And that as we open your word, and we open this powerful teaching of your son Jesus himself, that you would have your way with us. That you would challenge our minds, you would reorient our thinking, that you would touch our hearts, that you would clean us up, that you would redirect the paths that our feet take to be in agreement and align with who you are and your desire for our lives. So speak to us, Lord Jesus. Heal us. Correct us. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You, you can tell a whole lot about a person by where they get their news. You let me know where you get your news, and pretty quickly I'll know your political bias. I'll know your sports affiliation bias, really quick. I don't mind telling you I'm grieving a little bit my, the loss of my favorite place that I got, got news. And the favorite place I used to get news, I just couldn't afford it anymore. It kept on getting more and more expensive, and it kept on shrinking, getting smaller and smaller in the news it delivered. And that would be the local newspaper. Anybody remember the local newspaper? Yeah. Anybody give up besides me on the local newspaper? Yeah, I kind of gave up on it. But, but I want you to know that I don't care where you watch or where you get your news. Have you ever noticed that after you watch or read the news, that it never cheers you up? Have you noticed that? That is because in the news business, whether you watch your news or you read your news, they have all have the same motto. If it bleeds, it leads. And that is why you always feel like you're getting bad news all of the time. That's all you hear about and see is bad news. Now, I thought it'd be kind of fun to take a poll here this morning. And it may not be fun for you, but it's going to be fun for me. And it's really all about me. We're going to take a poll because I'm going to learn something about our church. And that is from where you get your news. And here in a second, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. When I say three, I want you to shout out the primary place where you like to get your news. Now, I know you're thinking, I'm not going to do that. Listen, everybody's going to do it so nobody's going to hear you but me. Okay, I'm just taking a poll. I'm trying to hear. I want to learn something about us. So get your ready. So what we're going to do? I want you to shout out on the count of three where you online. You're doing it too. Okay, where you get your news? One, two, three. Huh? I just knew you'd all say the Bible. 
I just knew that's what you say. I just knew you say, you know what, the, the place where I get my news, I get my news from the Bible. I get my news from Jesus. Now, my, my wife's favorite newsman, my wife's favorite newsman is this good-looking guy who has great hair, fantastic smile, big teeth. He dresses like a million bucks. His name is Chip. That's her favorite. Three mornings a week, that's the most important man in her life because he is the highway traffic control reporter. And she figures out how not to and how to get to Dallas three times a week because she drives here. That is her favorite newsman. My favorite newsman is a guy named Jesus. And we learn about him because he really was a news guy. It's in Luke chapter 4, verse 23, we discover this. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, some of you know part of this about Jesus. It says Jesus has three primary functions. First of all, it says he's a teacher. That means that he tells people things that they can learn instructions for how they live their life. And then it says, the third thing it says he is, he says he's a healer. I suspect that is the reason why many of you decided you wanted to follow Jesus. There was something in your life that you needed to get healed. And so that makes him very popular with you. But you missed the very center point, one of the most important things, that he is the proclaimer, that is the announcer of the good news of the kingdom. Jesus actually primarily was a newsman. He was a news guy. Now, to understand this particular middle part a little bit more, I want to do a little word study with you, kind of start off this series. Could you pop up right here on the, this good news, this Greek word? The Greek word for news in the New Testament is euangelion. That's what it is. You break it down, the you means good. That's what you means, like euphoric, good feelings. Eulogy, good words, right? And then you have that second part, Agalos, which is where you and I get the word angels, or Los Angeles, the Los Angeles angels, which means literally means messenger. In, in biblical times, that little Greek word all come together, this word evangel, which means good news or gospel, which is where you and I get the word evangelical. Now, you and I live in a day where the word evangelical is considered by the world a very negative and bad word. It's been trashed because it's no longer really good news. Very interesting, uh, there's a little denomination called the Evangelical Free Church. I know some pastors who pastor in the Evangelical Free Church. One particularly tells me he had this woman who come here, but this has happened more than once. They come, and they, because it says evangelical free, evangelical free, it's kind of like they think, well, the drink, the soda was sugar-free. means it has no sugar. Caffeine-free means the coffee has no caffeine. And they thought evangelical free meant in the church there were no evangelicals. Wrong. They had a misunderstanding of what that term meant at all. And I'm going to suggest that most of us don't have an understanding of that word, the gospel, the messenger, the good news of the gospel. In your notes, number one, Jesus came as a newsman to announce a gospel. Now, most people outside the church even have heard of the word gospel. They don't know what it means. Most people inside the church have heard the word gospel, but you don't know what it means. And I would suggest it is unthinkable 
that someone who says they're a follower of Jesus Christ does not know and understand what Jesus thought was the most breaking news that anyone would ever hear in the history of the world, that the gospel is here. It has arrived. It is here. So here's what I want to do. By the time this message is over, I'm going to say that you're going to know what the gospel is, what, 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 what the gospel really means. And by the time you get to the end of this message, you're going to know how the gospel can change your life. And by the time we get to the end of this message, you're going to be ready to go on the great adventure of following Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the best news ever the world has ever received. So we're about to embark on a nine-month journey, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If someone asks you Sermon on the Mount, automatically you should think Matthew 5, 6, and 7. All those three chapters, verse by verse, and we're going to see what God is going to do. Now, before we dive in, I want to talk about some verses that kind of surround this passage to help us understand what Jesus' gospel is all about. Because I made you a promise that you would know what the gospel is and what it means before this message is over. So let's start right now. We're going to put a bunch of, I'm going to flip a lot through passages. You don't have to. We'll put them on the screen. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has been near, has near. Repent and believe the good news. There it is. Be listening for the common thing in all these passages. Over here in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve, the disciples, were with him. And because they were with him, at verse 9, he called the, verse 9, chapter 1 of Luke, he called the twelve disciples, he gave them power, he gave them authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, verse 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, before Jesus ascends into heaven, it says in verse 3 after, of chapter 1, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And then he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. And in the very last chapter of the book of Acts, which is about the birthday of the church, and the birth of the church, at the very end, it says, last verse, last chapter, about the Apostle Paul who's in prison. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Someone tell me, what is the gospel about? What's it about? The kingdom of God. In your notes, the gospel of Jesus is this. The kingdom of God is available. That's it. That through the body, through the life, through the teaching, through his death and his resurrection, you can live in the kingdom of God and experience God's presence and God's power in your life in the here and now. And anybody can have it through a relationship with Jesus. 
Now, what's tragic about this whole thing, what so many of us have done to the church and done to being a Christian, we have substituted the gospel of Jesus with our own gospel. And that is the gospel of the most minimum requirement that it takes to get into heaven. I just want to know, God, what's the least I got to do, the most minimal thing I got to do to get into heaven. And you and I think that is the gospel. Before I die, to know that I'm secure, that I get to go to heaven. Now, Dallas and I, years ago when we first got married, we lived in Wichita Falls. Many of you know that. After the tornado, uh, we were kind of the whole city of Wichita Falls trying to get their world and back into play in 1979 and early 1980. And they brought the Jerry Lewis telephone to Wichita Falls. Anybody remember the Jerry Lewis telephone? That's an old concept for raising money for muscular dystrophy. And they were going to have the kickoff there in Wichita Falls. It was a big deal. It was a charity fundraiser and trying to lift the spirits of everyone who had lost their homes. And especially for the rich and famous because this Jerry Lewis telephone, this, this start-off kickoff, was going to be at the Wichita Falls Country Club. And it was for the rich and famous. It was for the who's who in Wichita Falls. It was a black tie event at the country club, and you would get to meet Patty Duke. Anybody here ever heard of Patty Duke? That's a blast from the past. At this time, she was a Golden Globe winner. She portrayed Helen Keller, and she was going to be there. Now, she also was an advocate for muscular dystrophy. It just so happened I had an uncle. His name was Uncle Dinner. This is my Uncle Dinner. He was in love with Patty Duke. He never would get married. He could never have children. It would come to a point he would live the rest of his life in that chair. But he loved Patty Duke. And I thought, I got to meet Patty Duke. I got to go meet. But t- the tickets were $1,000 each. And you need to know that Dallas and I, we didn't have $1,000 to our name. At that time of our life, I, we were very, very poor. We had no money. We had no business going to something like that. So I, I, was, a, I was a grave digger. I was a carpenter. And I was a Methodist youth pastor. Did you, I, and you get in, you had to have a tux. So I had to borrow a tux from my former high school choir director. Somebody in the church loaned Dallas a very nice dress. And so we got there to the front to get in, and they're screening people who already belong there to get in. Did you know that if you put a tux on a grave digger, a carpenter, and a, and a part-time youth pastor, they still look like a grave digger and a part-time <laughs> Did you know that? Well, you, you still look. And so when we showed up at the gate, they went, you're not going in. You don't belong here. And I thought, you're right. I don't belong here, but I got to get in. So I kind of stressed it a little bit. I, said, I got a friend working some tables inside. And he said he had tickets for me. I'll just, if I leave my wife here, look at this beautiful woman right here. And these guys were young. If I leave my wife right here and if I go in, I'll come back and get her for tickets. Would that be okay? I go, okay. So I get in. And I find one of my friends, he's busting tables in there, and he comes up with some kind of some kind of ticket-looking things, whatever, for some people who didn't use them, gave them to me. I came out and said, You have to let us in. We got tickets. As soon as we got in, I realized we just we we didn't belong. These are who's who, wealthy people, a lot of money. We had no money. There was drinking, there was dancing. 
I'm a youth pastor. I'm going, I don't belong here. Why? That, that's when I left the Methodist church and became Cumberland Presbyterian so I could fit into stuff like that. I'll just leave it at that. So I, well, I came out immediately and I realized we just barely met the minimum requirement to get in. And many of us here have reduced the gospel, dumbed it down to just tell me what I got to pray, just tell me what I got to believe so I can get into heaven. And there's nowhere in the Bible where that is taught. You cannot show me in the scripture where Jesus ever taught that. And yet that's what we want. Here's what Jesus said. He says, the time has come and the kingdom of God is now available. Revise your life strategy. Follow me and become my disciple. Somebody needs to get this. The gospel of Jesus naturally creates disciples of Jesus. Let me repeat that. The gospel of Jesus will naturally create disciples of Jesus. But some of us as Christians have dumbed it down to just being consumers of his grace. We are not consumers of his grace. We are to be disciples of his life. Not just waiting till I die that I can get into heaven. It's so much more than that. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He had one message. The kingdom of God is available. The power of God is available to you right here, right now. He came to build the kingdom. He came to extend the kingdom. He came with the instructions to you and me. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. First. Then all these things will be added unto you. And yet today... Millions of Christians and thousands of churches just believe the gospel is about me finding a way to get into heaven and get other people into heaven. And it's so much more than that. So over the next nine months, we're going to dig into a deeper understanding of what it means to be a part, a citizen of the kingdom of God, to live in it, and to access that power. And I understand it's very difficult to even understand this concept of kingdom of God because we don't use the word kingdom in our language. So let me help you. Number three, my little kingdom is the sphere in which what I want and say goes. Everybody here has a kingdom. Everybody has a kingdom. And your kingdom is what you want and what you say that it goes. Biblically, this is introduced in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, on the sixth day, after God had created mankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. Here it comes. Rule over the fish in the sea. Some of your Bibles say have dominion over. Some of your Bibles say reign over. Have dominion over is probably the most accurate translation of the Hebrew. Let them have influence over. Let them reign over. Let them rule over. That's the kingdom. 
Now, you and I most figure this out, first of all, when we're born as little kids. When a little child is born, all of a sudden in their bodies, they realize their body is their kingdom. And they start realizing, I can move my feet. I can, make my, I can walk. I can reach for this and move my hands. They start to talk. And then you tell them to do something, and they go, no. They are ruling over their little kingdom by telling you no. Your body is your kingdom, and you know that. Somebody comes up, they get in your space, and if they get in your space, you go, what are you doing? You've trespassed my kingdom. You're in my space. Get out. Isn't that right? Because it's your little kingdom over which you have will over to extend what's okay and what's, what you says goes. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Dallas and I got a phone call from our youngest son and his wife asking us if we could babysit, not their granddaughter, our grand dog. I will tell you, there's something wrong <laughs> when you have more grand dogs than you have grandchildren. And they didn't ask us if we could babysit Dallas Ruth. It was, can you keep Vern, their little baby, their firstborn, Vern, their little puppy. And Okay, good. We love Vern. Vern's, no, and Vern's a low-maintenance dog. The only thing is she has to be walked at a certain time of the morning at the exact same time. Kind of like you parents put your kids to bed at the exact same time. That dog had to be walked at a certain time, morning and night. And so that's me. I said, okay, I'll walk the dog. We don't have a dog, but I'll do the dog. So I'm walking the dog late at night. And Vern's walking around. All of a sudden, Vern's decided to go down into the culvert. I've got my little glove. I'm ready to reach down, get the specimen, bag it, carry it off. And before Vern, I could do that, though, somebody, I hear this voice, hey, who's there? I said, why? I said, is that a dog? See, what's that dog's name? I said, Vern. And all of a sudden, this guy couldn't even see him unleashed a tirade of expletives that would make a sailor blush. I mean, it was venom, 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 venom. Why are you doing everything? And I started sorting like this. I started to go, you want a piece of this? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, I got, if I don't go home with a dog, I'm dead. I mean, I got to take care of this dog. I really didn't say that, okay? I was very pastoral. They might go to Pathway. I thought, I, got I couldn't see the dude. I know it's in my neighborhood. Maybe they go to Pathway, and I don't know it. And, but, 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 but what was going on there? What kingdom did that guy live in? The kingdom of self. This is my yard. This is my domain. I will guard it, and I will protect it. And if you trespass it, I will get, let you have it. I might even kill you. No wonder we have so many issues and complications in the world. Let me ask you, whose kingdom, what kingdom are you really living in? Now, this is really important. You have a physical kingdom that's based on your physical location. You have a physical home. And your location, your physical home ident helps identify, shape your identity and who you are and how you see yourself. All the psychologists say, that geography is identity. For example, Dallas and I, a few years ago, we got to go to Budapest. But we are not Hungarian. We are Texan. If you ask me where I'm from, I say I'm Texan. And because I say I'm Texan, that shapes how I think, 
how I see the world and how I process life. Your, your geographical location shapes your, your view of the kingdom. You have a spiritual location just as much as you have a physical location. It's not physical space you can touch, but it's just as real. And it is the kingdom of God that you can live not just in a physical place, you can live in the presence, in the power, and the presence of God himself. And church, it is the greatest opportunity in the history of the world to be able to do that. It's the greatest news you could ever hear. Because when you live in the kingdom of God, so many things are available to you, such as this right here. When you live in the kingdom of God and you know you're living in the kingdom, nobody can threaten your ultimate well-being. Nobody can. You can have the abundance of heaven to support you because you know your Father in heaven's in charge of all the resources of heaven. And you are never, ever, ever, ever at ultimate risk, ever. See, I knew that when I'm walking Vern that night. I wasn't afraid at all. I was very secure. For one thing, that guy was in his 80s and in a walker. <laughs> so I knew I had him. But more importantly, I knew what the Apostle Paul said, and I believe it. I am convinced neither death nor life, not angels nor demons, not the present, not the future, not any power, not any height or depth or anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have your little Bibles, circle the word in Christ. The Apostle Paul uses that term in Christ 164 times in the New Testament, in his writings, as a substitute for what Jesus said in the kingdom of God. When you live in Christ, you live in the kingdom. You live in his power. You live in his presence. You live in his favor. And that's what makes the Sermon on the Mount the best news ever. Because the reason you can turn the other cheek is because you know the justice of God will ultimately be taken care of and you don't have to do anything about it, that God will do it. The reason you will not worry about tomorrow because you know that tomorrow is in the hands of the one who brings the kingdom into existence, the kingdom of God himself. And that means that you know you can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and you can be generous instead of stingy. Because you know your father in heaven has at his disposal all the resources of heaven and he makes them available to you as well. Church, this is very important. I hope you're getting this. Jesus is not some guru who is eloquent in writing and in speech and coming up with these nice little sayings. He is the most brilliant, the most intelligent man who ever lived. And the brilliance of his teaching bases on the truth of his news, the kingdom of God. God is here. What kingdom are you living in? And we all have our own little kingdoms. And here's the problem. Our little kingdoms have been infiltrated by our sin. 
And when you take one person with their little kingdom and they get merged with another little kingdom, you got a bigger bad kingdom. It's called marriage. A sinful man and a sinful woman, their own will and kingdom, they get married. You wonder why it's so hard. It's two kingdoms that just, you're beating your heads. Then you have kids. They start exerting their free will over their little kingdom. Now you've got a family dynamic that is a dysfunctional kingdom. Then you've got a people in a neighborhood together. They get on Facebook. Everybody exerting their little will about the way they think things ought to be. And they keep butting heads. And now you have a neighborhood, a community conflict, an economy conflict, political division. Is there any wonder why our nation is so divided? We've got all these kingdoms colliding. You need to understand this. Kingdoms, number four, are systems of personal power. That's what kingdoms are. And when you put all the kingdoms together, your little kingdom and my little kingdom and all these kingdoms, you call this the kingdom of earth. Let's compare the kingdom of earth with the kingdom of God. And you choose which one you want to live in, okay? The kingdom of God is put like this by Romans chapter 14, verse 17 by the apostle Paul. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Now let's think about the kingdom of earth. How are things going? What's your news telling you how things are going in the kingdom of the earth? How are things going in Ukraine and Russia? How, how, how are things going in New Orleans and Chicago and all around the United States of America? Murder, murder, the news headline, more murders, more murders, and more murders. How are things going in the kingdom of your stock market? How's it going? If you're, if you're a cowboy fan and you live according to the kingdom of the cowboys, how's your little kingdom going right now? Texas Ranger fans, you just live and die with it. I mean, that's your kingdom. How's your kingdom going? Which kingdom do you really want to live in? But God had a plan. And the plan is not to send Jesus to earth just to get you into heaven. He says, I'm going to flip the script. And I want to bring heaven to earth. Through you, Sermon on the Mount. How many of you know what the name, the most famous prayer that's ever been uttered in history? Somebody tell me, what is it? You know it. You're scared to say it. The Lord's Prayer. Right? And you say you know the Lord's Prayer until I was to ask you to lead it. And you'll stand up here and go, you'll forget it. Back in the 1980s, Mike Dicka, when the Chicago Bears were winning Super Bowls and the, and the, the Super Bowl shuffle and all that sort of stuff, he, he turned, Dicka turned to Refrigerator Perry, his big lineman, said, would you please lead the team in the Lord's Prayer? He said, sure, coach. Quarterback Jim McMahon turns to the chaplain and say, hey, 50 bucks, Fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Chaplain went, man, that sounds kind of weird betting on the Lord's Prayer, but... I'll take it, you know. And so he took the bet. And uh, Fred starts the prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And, and McMahon says, man, I didn't know he knew, knew the Lord's prayer. Here's 50 bucks, you know, and everything like that. 
See, some of you don't even know the heart of what the Lord's Prayer has to say. You think you do, but you don't. Did you know this was in it? Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 9. It doesn't say, please get me into heaven. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 5, the kingdom of God is wherever God's will is done. When what God says and what God wants is done. The gospel prayers are, oh God, oh God, oh God, save me. Would you please get me into heaven? That's not what he said to pray. He said, oh God, oh God, would you please bring heaven to earth through me to use me to flip the script, to bring heaven to earth. Would you use me, God, not just be sit around and wait till I die to get to heaven? That's not the gospel. It's so much more than what you and I can imagine. Jesus is the kingdom bringer that in his body, in his life, in his word, in his healing, in his death, in his resurrection, the kingdom of God is here. The king is here. The king is here. And he has no ego. The king is humble. The king comes as a carpenter. The king comes as a servant. And the king doesn't come to sit on a throne. He comes to hang on a cross. And that's what makes him king. He flips the script and turns upside down what the people thought was true. I'm going to bring up here, down here, he says, and I do it through my cross. Church, everybody has a gospel. My question for you is, what is your gospel? Where are you looking for hope? Where do you look for good news? Where do you look for strength? Where do you look for power? Everybody already has a gospel. What is your gospel? When Jesus was born, Rome had a gospel. And here was the gospel, a Roman inscription. Please notice this. We're going to pop it up. The most luminous, most quoted, most analyzed, most contested, most influential moral and religious discourse in all of human history. That's not it. Would you go to the next one, please? Yes, the birthday of the God, Augustus, has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. There's that word, euangelion, concerning him, that Caesar is the good news. That was the gospel of Rome. In your notes, number six, the gospel of Jesus is a claim that the gospel of Rome is fake news. Please hear this. If you hear nothing else this morning, no Caesar, no human kingdom, no political party, no president, no dictator, no emperor can save, redeem, or transform humanity. Only King Jesus can do that. And your only response to Jesus who comes to bring in his kingdom is not, would you please 
just use your death to get me into heaven. And now I'm going to be charged of my life to do what I want until I die. I don't care how I live. Your response is to say, will you be my king? Will you be the highest authority in my life? Will you be my forgiver? Will you be my redeemer? And you repent. And repent is not beating yourself up. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so. That's not repentance. The word repentance is not an emotional thing. Repentance, go read the word. Greek is a change of thinking. When you repent, you're changing the way you orient and think about your life. A different strategy. And your strategy is the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he came to declare. This is the way you live. Reorient your thinking around this. Last thing, number seven. Pathway Church, everybody get to call you your church home, exists to make disciples by connecting one more to a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. That's why we exist. That's why we're here, to make disciples, not just to get people into heaven. That too, yes. When you say yes to Jesus, yes. You receive his grace, yes. Your sins are forgiven, yes. That means your death is not the final thing, yes. His resurrection means you live forever in heaven, yes. But it's so much more than that. And the idea behind the Sermon on the Mount is this, that we actually do what Jesus said. That we actually do it. And when you and I do it, the script gets flipped. And up there, comes down here and it's not just about you and me getting here getting up there every time you get angry and you're tempted to seek revenge but you turn the other cheek the script gets flipped and up there comes down here every time you're tempted to judge but you judge not the script gets flipped, and up there comes down here. Every time you're tempted to be selfish, but you let your light shine so others can see your good deeds, the script is flipped, and up there comes down here. Every time you're tempted to pile up stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, but you don't, and you are generous, to store up treasures in heaven, the script gets flipped. And up there comes down here. And every time you do unto others is they would do unto you. And every time you pray in secret, and every time you give in secret, and every time you pray, Lord, just give me enough bread for today. I'm not caring about tomorrow. Just give me enough for today. Every time you knock, every time you ask, every time you seek, up there comes down here, and the script is lit. Touch the good news, it means so much more than just getting into heaven. It's about God using you to bring up there, down here, in the here and now. And I want you to know, however hard 
your little kingdom is right now. However challenging your little kingdom is, when you come to the cross, when you come to the foot of the cross, you experience the kingdom of God in a miraculous way. So if you right now are feeling adequate, if you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling beat down, I want you to go where Jesus shed his blood, the cross. Because the cross, which was a symbol to the world of shame, because the symbol of the greatest good news the world can ever hear, of a life of humility, of life of sacrificial love, the life of our king. And that cross is the symbol of the best news ever. And up there is already here. And Jesus is doing it through his church. So I want to invite you, as we begin this journey, to live as the disciple of Jesus. I want to invite you to get baptized if you've not yet been baptized. Just stop playing around with it. Get it done. Go to the connection point. If you've not done so yet, we ran out. We got a few left journals. I want you to make a challenge as we study every day. You're going to open up this book for 15 minutes. Don't tell me you don't have 15 minutes. You waste 15 minutes on news that makes you feel bad. 15 minutes every day in this book, doing your life steps. Just 15 minutes. Read the short scripture, answer the question, jot it down. Get one of these journals. You can do so. We got 50 left. We got 500 more coming in. 500 went just like that Boop, last week. I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to start reading five, five, six, and seven, five, six, and seven, five, six, and seven, five, six, and seven of Matthew. I want to invite you to invite. I want you to invite you because disciples make disciples. Invite others to come join you and be with you on this journey. And we're going to connect people to Jesus. We're going to ask for Jesus' presence and we're going to sit at his feet. And we're going to ask Jesus to teach us what he taught so many years ago. And we're going to do what Jesus teaches. We're going to do it. We're going to practice it. We're going to flip the script and let him use us to bring up there down here. It's going to be quite a journey. I hope you'll join us. But first, you really got to figure out what kingdom are you living in? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this thing called the Bible, this wonderful gift that you give to us, especially, God, this, this little part called the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus just lays out his heart of what you want to do on earth through your people who your followers, your disciples, to bring your kingdom to earth not just bring us up there. So God, we just give you Pathway Church. We again just rededicate. It belongs to you. We dedicate our lives to you. We repent and change our way of thinking. Help us to think like what you teach in this book and not just think but to practice it so that many will come to know the joy and the peace and the righteousness that comes from living 
in your presence, in your power, in your kingdom. May it be so. In Jesus' name.